Hello and welcome to the Woodard Report podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. And it is proudly sponsored by Expensify, the expense management app that does it all for every business. We are also proudly sponsored by File, easy expense management via text messaging. For more information about both Expensify and File, please visit woodard.com slash podcast. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and Heather Satterley. Well, Heather, we're back again, and we're going to be talking about the future of client accounting services in this episode. I'm going to lead out on that topic, but uh, I know that uh, you are extremely experienced in client accounting services and probably will have much to say. I certainly will. Yes. So most of my career has been client accounting services. So Though we didn't always call it that, did we? Yes. We did not. Yes. We called it something else. And that's actually going to be one of the pieces where I kind of start out is, uh, is the nomenclature change to client accounting services. So for those of you listening to the podcast and don't know that that's relevant to you or think it's not relevant to you, if you are a professional bookkeeper or at any any of your portfolios of your practice, you provide professional bookkeeping services to any of your clients, congratulations, you now have a new title. You are in client accounting services um, or CAS. And you can love it. You can hate it. You can think that you're going to change or not change. But the reality is the industry is standardizing around the acronym CAS and client client accounting. And I'm going to talk about the variants, client accounting services. Um, and more and more, this is probably the most important thing, even if you tune out the rest of this podcast or you've gotten to your destination and you never tune back in, you've gotten your takeaway that a bookkeeper in the horizon of the future, whether that's five or 10 years from now, uh, when you say that, people will only think, oh, you must work for a company as their bookkeeper, as an employee. If you keep calling yourself that as a professional practice, that's how people are going to perceive you and they're going to get confused. Okay, so don't shoot the messenger. You've got to change your terminology. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not that simple though, because client accounting services is, is the future of the industry, but does it mean accounting or advisory? So some people say it's client advisory services. And the reason that bookkeepers held on to the bookkeeper title for so long is because CAS, when it means client advisory services, calls the professional bookkeeper to check out, to think, nope, not for me. I don't do advisory. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in, the, in a minute. But client accounting services is still CAS. Client accounting and advisory services is still CAS. So, so even if you just provide accounting services, even if you only do advisory, which most people don't, they also do accounting and advisory, it's still all CAS. The only question that remains is, what does the A mean to you? And is there going to be one A or two? And only 7% of CAS practices as surveyed by the AICPA in 2022, only 7% use the AA. But over 50% refer to the single A as both accounting and advisory. So they'll say CAS, Client Accounting and Advisory Services, single A. 
All right. So now that you know where we're kind of standardizing, if you don't provide advisory services, you could just be an, an accounting practice, a client accounting services practice. Um, and that's how you need to brand. Now, I have a disclaimer as I'm talking about this and the rest of the future, because that was a bonus one. I've got several others, six others that now that we've defined the term, no one can actually see the future. So I'm not purporting that I have a crystal ball or that I'm all knowing. And you won't remember what I said on this podcast episode 10 years from now anyway. So I could pretty much say anything I want to. And that's kind of fun. All right. Now, the problem with the podcast, though, is you can go back and listen to it and you can ding me on Twitter. No, on X, which will no longer be fo- called formally known as Twitter 10 years from now, unless Elon changes it again. I'm actually putting in a, a, a little to do for 10 years from today to, to call you on that. <laughs> yeah, and I can believe that you are, too. All right. So uh, uh, that, that's both a joke with truth behind it, Heather. All right. So the future of CAS will be a series of fusions. This is the way I want to frame this out so we can ingest it audibly. Six fusions. So as you're listening along, I'm going to try to call them off by the number. Number one is the general ledger and workflow solution fusion. Number two, the client communications and workflow fusion. So two of these are fusions with workflow. Number three, the fusion between humans and bots. Number four is the fusion between credentialed and non-credentialed professionals. Five is the fusion between real and virtual worlds. And six is the fusion between accounting and advisory for real this time, because we've been talking about that for, you know, 20 years or whatever it is. So let's talk, let's talk about the first one. The first one, the fusion of general ledger and workflow solutions. And we, we don't think about this, Heather, because we're too close to it. But if we think about it, we're one of the few industries, maybe the only industry as client accounting services, where we operate in the general ledger solution rather than every other industry has what they operate reflected in the financial solution. You know, the output of the financial report is also our operating system. And we've just accepted that. And I know it sounds like it's crazy just to accept that like sky is blue, right? I, you know, I get it that we just accept that, but we shouldn't just accept that. Why don't, why doesn't client accounting services have its own operating system like inventory and architecture and legal that they don't operate in their financial solutions. They operate in something designed for their business. And then what they do is reflected in the financial statements and often integrates with the financial statements like Clio for a lawyer to, to QuickBooks, you know. And we've all tried to make a scaled law practice operate inside of QuickBooks. We all have that history and we realize it's a forced fit at best. QuickBooks even engineered their system in order to accommodate those industry-specific needs at one point. It was called QuickBooks Premier Professional Services, QuickBooks Enterprise Solutions Professional Services, until they realized this whole thing can only be solved really fully by an ecosystem. So what is the ecosystem for us then? Well, everybody up to this point, client accounting services has been about the QuickBooks product or the zero product or the intact product or whatever it may be is the primary hub 
And the automation solutions are the things that integrate with the primary hub. But my my Clio, you know, using a, a lawyer comparison, my AutoCAD using an engineering, but my industry specific solution is QuickBooks or Zero or Intact. That's going to change in the next five to ten years, not because people are going to stop using QuickBooks or Zero or Intact. But because that is not going to be the primary system in which they operate a CAS practice. So where's the shift going to take place? It's going to take a shift toward the fusion of general ledger and workflow. So if a day in the life of the client accounting services worker of the future is that they're going to live inside of a workflow solution, not just to know what tasks they need to do next, they could do that now with solutions like Mango, right? Or solutions like Canopy, or solutions like Jetpack, or solutions, you know, like Arrow. They could do that now. Um, not just to know what the source document is that I need to reference as I do my accounting work, because they can do that in all the solutions I just named as well. And I could throw in Carbon and CCH Access and so many others, right? CCH Access Workflow, sorry, is the full name of it. They have solutions like that now, but they're not fused with the general ledger. And in the future, they will be fused with the general ledger. They will ingest and surface out general ledger information. They will analyze it. They will find errors in it, inconsistencies in it. They will allow us to make mass changes to it so that whenever we come up to a client accounting services workflow task and it says, you need to classify transactions for departmentalized tracking. It will already ingest how many of those have a class and don't have a class. It will let you mass apply classes to the transactions without ever opening up the general ledger solution. It'll write to that general ledger solution it's connected to for that one client profile. You might have a thousand client profiles in your workflow solution. They're connected to a thousand different QBO accounts all one workflow solution. Think about how that'll change your life. But it's the interpretive layers of what's happening because it will surface all the transactions that are missing a class. It will surface the transactions that had a different class in five of the last six financial reporting periods than they have in this one. So was this the aberration or was this a coding error? And it'll surface that for you. And it'll let you change it if it needs to be changed right there on the spot. That's the workflow general ledger solution I'm talking about. And it's not just theoretical, it's existent. There are a couple of solutions right now that are pioneering this area of the industry. Zenit Auto Workflow and Auto Review, excuse me, Zenit Auto Review is one of them. And the other one is called Keeper. But what you're going to find is Canopy, Carbon, you know, the market leaders, maybe CCH will, uh, will, will jump on board with this. Um, you're going to start to see them go in the direction of Zenit Auto Review and Keeper and start ingesting more of this general ledger data in, in the days to come, weeks to come. Okay, the, the next fusion is the fusion of client communications and workflow. So right now we have a workflow that says, uh, I'm going to get to tax because I, I know this is the future of CAS, but a tax example just came to my mind. Well, let's call it CAS because it's 1099s. It's payroll tax, but it's 1099s, it's CAS. And I need to be able to prepare the 1099, but I don't have a W-9. So I'm waiting on a W-9 
for a particular vendor from a particular client. And that is in my workflow. Uh, Mango does a great job at this, right? I'm waiting for a document and what the document is. The question is, what happens when the client sends me the, the W-9 for the vendor? How does that work? Do they email it? Hopefully not if it's a personal social security number, right? EINs are a little less sensitive, but still not advisable. And even if they do, how does that get, here's that word again, ingested into the workflow solution? How does it get routed all the way to the point where I need the to reference it in order to get my work done? How do I even know it's been delivered to me? And how is that assimilated into the task that says I'm waiting for this document to arrive? Right now, for most people, that's a very manual process. I see the email, I download the W9, I upload the W9 into the document management container that I use. I go to the task, I check off the task that says I'm waiting on the W9 and I proceed with my work. That's everybody's day in the life of an accounting professional and that is not the future. The future is that the workflow is going to ingest that information. I keep coming back to that word, but that's how fusion works, ingestation of data It's going to discover it. It's going to identify it by the key field called the client's email address. It's going to automatically route that document through to the proper workflow, to the proper client, to the proper task. And it's going to alert you that the document has arrived instead of the other way around. All right. And it's going to do it increasingly with mobile interfaces. Mobile interfaces are going to rule the future. Okay. Um, And I just want to make one little comment here. And this is something you can you can check me on in ten years there, Heather. Um, that email that the email is the fax machine of this decade. So we we will not be using email uh, to any kind of ex, uh, of significant operational management purpose uh, starting in in exactly January of 2030. That's that that's I'm joking, but but that uh, sometime between now and January uh, 2030. Uh, it's going to phase out. Now you could say fax machines still exist today. They're they, they're in my UPS store. They're in my lawyer's office for some weird reason. Um, you know, real estate agents still love them. Yeah, I'm not saying they don't exist. Fax machines still exist, and email will exist in the year 2030. It just will not be the primary way that we interact and and we exchange information uh, within business. All right, so. The next fusion is the fusion of human and bots. And the best way to understand who's driving this future while simultaneously reflecting this this future is to go to a website. If you are not driving, riding a bike, or walking while you're listening to this podcast, because nothing bothers me more than people running into me while they're typing on their phone, while they're walking. So if you're not in motion right now, I encourage you to go to intuit.com slash strategy. Just simple URL. They have thousands of pages, but this one's really easy to find. Intuit.com slash strategy. When you go to that page, Intuit makes it extremely clear what the future of Intuit is. And they are both defining the market in the US and they are reflecting the market on the planet. That the future, not just of Intuit, but the future of all of accountancy is going to be an AI-driven expert future. 
Now, that means that we are not talking about artificial intelligence replacing the accountant. It will replace the accountants that don't use it. And that quote is not original to me, but, but it will not replace us. It will replace the work that many of you are currently doing, and therefore we must elevate that work. All right. So uh, that'll, that's a great way for me to tee up the elevation of services. Some of the areas where you can get to near zero level entry at this point are e-commerce, payables, purchase orders, invoices, sales orders, job costing, sales tax, uh, management, payroll calculations, employee onboarding, corporate renewals even. You can even automate that right now with bots where you don't even have to deal with the corporate renewals uh, for state registrations, any of those kinds of things. Collections, efforts can be all automated with bots. 401k management's now automated. Even accrual basis entries can all be automated. Not just depreciation and amortization, but some of the more complex one like, ones like payroll accruals can be automated. Not with a memorized thing, with variables of hourly rates and hourly paid employees. Um, all can be interpreted, managed, and accrued by the bots without you having to do a single calculation or enter a single journal entry or reversing entry. So all of that is present existent technology and all of that will, will displace record keeping. So I want to make sure the listeners understand what I'm going to say here because I don't want to be misunderstood. Record keeping, financial record keeping, that professional service is the travel agency of this decade. It will not exist after this decade. So accountancy will and advisory absolutely will. But, but the recording of financial information into the general ledger, that will not be a profession. All right. So chat GPT is another good example of where I would go if you want to start seeing some of the full power of AI. But a word of warning, please do not give sensitive information to chat GPT directly. That is not secure. Uh, there are there are uh, solutions like digits that stand between you and ChatGPT that will um, that will protect you know anonymize and tokenize that client data, but that is not. Um, but do, please don't put a balance sheet or whatever straight into ChatGPT. The next fusion is the fusion of credentialed and non-credentialed professionals. Now you're seeing this in the medical profession; they're way ahead of us in this area. In, a, in any given hospital, it might be a single-digit percentage actual MDs, and you get then you get differently credentialed workers and non-credentialed workers, all making up the populace of the hospital. You're going to see CPA practices operating more like that, especially in the area of CAS. The staffing crisis is driving a lot of that. There just aren't that many CPAs available in order to do this kind of work. But the biggest driver of it is the nature of the work itself. The nature of the work is morphing into more technical work, technician work, and the curation of different kinds of technologies as they stack together. That is not your traditional CPA kind of role. And you're also gonna see a lot more outsourcing and offshoring that's going to go on. And that kind of work is uh, not typically gonna be done by CPAs. So a combination of the shortage of CPAs and the nature of the work will drive the fusion of non-credentialed and credentialed workers within CPA practices. 
And then you've got the fusion of real and virtual worlds. This is being driven to a large degree by the developments of headsets. You've probably seen the Apple Vision Pro announcements come out. A lot of hype about that. Meta's trying to keep up with Apple now by competing with them on new versions of their Meta headset. So when you're in this kind of a technology race, and you even have companies like Facebook completely changing their entire of their strategy around this one kind of piece of technology or this one place the technology leads you called the metaverse is something we have to pay attention to. Uh, it's not just accountancy, but it's the future of business as a whole that will begin to interact more and more in the world of avatars and interactive experiences. And a headset will become as common in the next 12, the next five to 10 years as part of your desk set, as your headset is now for your video calls, as your camera is, even your keyboard and mouse. Everybody will have a headset sitting on their desk. It's just the way you're gonna interact with the future. Now, some of the benefits of this mean a more immersive environment, more focused environment, but it also means that you can represent yourself in more tangible and effective ways within the environment within uh, that you're interacting with your clients. And that includes neutralizing language barriers. It will mimic your own voice and it will speak your voice, your tone, your infle inflections in real time to their ears, not through closed captioning, to their ears, just um, as if you were speaking fluidly in their native language. Um, then you have the fusion of accounting and advisory. Now on this one, We've been talking about the fusion of accounting and advisory for so long that we can start to think that this is just going to be another of many lectures on why you should do advisory. And that is not what we're talking about. It is, but more. It's more substantial. And there's going to be a caveat to it that maybe you have not heard. When you tell a bookkeeper, a non-credential client accounting services worker, that they need to do advisory, what they hear is, you're asking me, a nurse, to do brain surgery. I'm going to go back to the medical metaphor. And it's good that brain surgery makes more money. It's good that brain surgery has a greater impact. And thank you so much for believing in me that I, as a nurse, can do brain surgery. But that's nonetheless the leap that you're asking me to take. Because they equate the word advisory with the concept of fractional CFO. And that is what I want to dispel. I'm going to dispel that myth. And I want to say that the future of client accounting services is not fractional CFO services, chief financial officer services. On, I, I, that's going to be like the doctors in my hospital comparison. And that will be a single digit percentage of the clients that are addressed and the people who are addressing them. But what I am saying the future will be is nonetheless a future of advisory, just not fractional CFO. Those two things are not synonyms. The future of advisory is going to be largely a future of what we at Woodard are calling controllership services. CPA.com is also referring to controllership services as an aspect of advisory. It's not just us. What do we mean by the category? We mean the operational side of the accounting function. Not just accounts receivable logging, but accounts receivable curation. 
So, and bad debt expense mitigation, not just recording fixed asset depreciation, but managing fixed asset strategies, disposition strategies and leasing and acquisition strategies. Dis- and, and, and not just recording what's happening with cash, but managing actual cash flow, cash flow projections, and making sure there's enough operating capital to sustain operations for short-term horizons. And, and, and all of this, these kinds of things, and maybe the one that's most important I, I failed to mention is spend management to reduce general administrative expenses and control costs through spend controls, budget curation, spend policies, and intelligent spend cards like Bill Spend, which used to be called Divi. Those are all the kind of future that a client accounting services is going to embrace. And it's extremely valuable. The total available market to address or the total addressable market is much larger. Anybody over a million, all the way up to 10 million, needs this. Most people under 5 million will not bring a controller in-house. And even if they do, they're probably not as happy with those services they've hired for as the ones that you will soon be capable of providing as a professional. So the fusion of six key areas of accountancy is the future of CAS. Wow. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that absolutely that's that's where we're headed. You know, it's interesting because with the, you know, fusion of all of the, you know, with the fusion of these different, you know, areas, I think one of the things that we're going to see is a transformation within the market where we see the top 200 firms, you know, definitely stepping in and they have 42% of firms. And this is from a, a 2002 survey are offering CAS services. Um, they typically didn't go down that route because those types of services weren't deemed profitable. But what's happened is the non-credentialed you know, professionals within our industry have started to, to, to shift away from that hourly billing to value pricing and more concierge service, which is what our clients want, right? They want this type of advisory. And I love that you said that it's not the, you know, brain surgery uh, advisory. It's not that CFO level, it's the controllership. And that's really been the big gap, right? Within our industry is who's going to be hands-on with this stuff. And our clients want us to be hands-on with this stuff. The CPAs don't want to be hands-on with this stuff because of the risk. And so the non-credentialed accountants have been the ones that have stepped into this role. So we're starting to see that change. It's going to be interesting to see where we land as far as the profession looking at the risks and where the CPA firms actually end up landing here. Um, based on that, the, you know, independence and, and, you know, attestation services being offered under the same roof as some of this hands-on managerial accounting work. Well, and I think that that's the dividing line there is if you're a CAS client, you're not an audit client and vice versa. Right. right. So it'll be, be, it'll definitely be interesting to see what happens. I mean, we, what, what's happened is the, the, you know, can the big firms bring that concierge service to the clients. That's what remains to be seen. And, and it's I think largely a controllership services knowledge gap. Right. Because right. that that's where really where it's going to happen. Um, and, and if you think about any business under 10 million in sales, even if they do need a CFO, they need them transactionally. They, the bank's breathing down my neck on this line of credit renewal, or I've got an investor that wants to make an investment, or I have a 
exit or succession event, right? Which is also right. the termination typically of the client relationship. They're transactional events. They're major, they're major events. Um, but what they do is they make the mistake of engaging a CFO 12 months out of the year, you know, for $10,000 a month or $8,000 a month when they need them once every two years. And what they think they're buying is controllership services controller and the fractional CFO like, doesn't nope. know how or doesn't want to do that. And it's all a big mismatch. Right. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. All right. So we've got to move on because it's we a do. cool topic. We could talk about all day long, but let's move into the TV and movie quote segment. And I think you're going to lead us out on that one, Heather. I am. And I'm going to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think it's, I'm, I'm speaking for a bunch of us here, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? That iconic scene when he's dancing in the streets and singing the Beatles song. Um, but that's not the scene that I'm going to talk about in the quote. So mine goes way back to before that, where he's with Cameron and his girlfriend, and they're just setting out on their day off, and they're wondering what they're going to do. Right. And so Ferris says, the question isn't, what are we going to do? The question is, what aren't we going to do? And while he may have meant something completely different from where I'm coming from, where I was thinking as the business application is that I think it is most important to ask, what aren't you going to do in your practice? Then what are you going to do? Because he means it from a hedonistic standpoint. You mean it from you mean it from a filter, and I love that, right? Um, Yeah. There's an opera. There, there, there's a quote that that I live by. Uh, You know, I have several that I say every day to myself. I don't just call them mantras. I actually use them as that. And that's that's opportunity does not equal obligation. And that's what I'm hearing you say. There is the question: Is what am I not going to do? What am I not going to do? So what am I not going to do? And, you know, flipping it on its head, because that is not at all what Ferris Bueller was what meant by that. He's like, we're going to do all the things um, is that you can't do everything, nor should you do everything. So what is it that you where are you going to bring the most value to your clients? Yes. But where are you going to bring most value to yourself? Right. So you've got to go after the thing that you makes you that, you know, makes you a rock star and whatever it is that you do. Go after that. Focus on that. Bring in the people that are going to help you to reach that goal by bringing qualities that maybe you don't have and really drill down on what is it that you're going to, you know, what aren't you going to do? And then you're going to be able to focus right in on what it is that who you are and what you're going to deliver to your clients. I absolutely love that. Love that. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna share my next one, but I share it with kind of great trepidation trepidation because um, I did watch this movie in a moment of weakness. Um, it I wasn't my best self at the moment, and and I don't want the listeners to judge me over my movie choices, but it was the Meg two, um, and and I still have still regret um, having watched it, uh, but. <laughs> But I nonetheless watched The Meg too. It was free on HBO Max. And I, again, I, I was weak. It happens. Right. <laughs> I know it happens to all of us. But yeah. anyway, but there was one little nugget that I gained out of an otherwise trite and, and excruciating movie. Um, and that was what, whenever they were down in the trench um, and the, their you know, submarine had malfunctioned, they were stuck. There was no way to get to them 10,000 feet down or whatever it was. And the, the heroes, uh, this little girl that had come 
they, cause I always to throw a kid into these adventure movies. Right. So we won't tell how she got there. This little girl was there and, uh, she's, she's like, what are we going to do now? I have to keep the context here. This is not just a general, what are we going to do question? This was a, we are, we have nothing to do. When she asked, what are we going to do? She was basically saying, we have nothing to do. We are going to die. There is no way that we can proceed forward. And the, the, the hero of our story, the, uh, whose name I don't even remember because it didn't matter to me that much on the story, but the quote does. He said, we look at what's in front of us and we do the next thing. Now, the power of that is, the power of that is, they had no, no, no idea what was going to come two steps away. And sometimes you might be listening to this podcast right now and you are in such a bind financially or contractually or relationally or something where, where the only thing you can see is the next step. And the step after that is a dark hole that you can't see past. Or you might think, and this is the most important thing I got for the emotion of the moment, that even if you do take the next step, there is no next step after that. So just give up, you know, it's a brick wall after that next step. And the power of this is that you proceed no matter how much afraid you are. Uh, and that's a John Maxwell quote. He actually defines courage as proceed afraid. So my big takeaway is courage is not the opposite of fear. Or my commentary on this is that courage is not the opposite of fear. Courage is acting in the midst of fear. And therefore we get to John Maxwell's definition of courage, proceed afraid. And that's what our hero was telling the little girl in the story is we will proceed afraid. Okay. Yes. Yes. I, you know, I was just having, I was at the barn last night with some of my, uh, my, my barn pals, we call it it the pony club. And we were talking about that. We do that every single day that we go to the barn, we proceed afraid because we know that these 1200 pound animals at any time could decide that uh, they want to be spooked by something or they don't want to, they want us off of them. Um, And so we do it because we love it and we keep getting on and we proceed afraid every single time. (laughs) You know, I can't do a podcast without talking about cats or horses. Uh, No, no, it's actually become like a Seinfeld Superman reference thing. If you know that there's a Superman reference in every (laughs) Seinfeld. Um, so yeah, now it's going to be cat and horses for this podcast. Cat, horses, Everything needs a thing. Right. Um, that's great. So Heather, let's move on now to the book segment. I think you're going to take this one. You've read something very interesting lately. What do you have? So the book that I read isn't a book that I actually read. It's actually a book that I'm creating. And so oh, one thing you don't know about me is that I'm a big journaler. I've journaled my whole life and I've been through a lot of different 13 week planner journals. There's a bunch of them out there. And the most recent one that I've started working on and, and just give everybody a really quick and dirty, like understanding of how these work is, it's a 13 week planner where you go through, you set goals and intentions, and then you write your intentions each day. And then you follow up with a reflection on how that went. Um, and it's a way to keep you balanced personally. You can use it across your entire life professionally, personally, you know, in every area. And so the one that I just recently picked up 
the reason I bought it was because a lot of these get really kind of complicated and even to get started in the journal can take about six weeks because you have to like look at your VMP and you have to do all of this upfront work before you even get started. And what I loved about this was that the author, uh, who is Cindy um, Harvell, she created this one to be easier to get started and it's simplified. So it's very kind of bare bones. Um, but what it allows me to do is go through every morning and reflect on gratitude. So what are the things I'm grateful for to look at the different areas of my life, you know, love, family, work, you know, other activities, and then to set intention for the day, um, set intention for the month uh, and set intention for those that 13 week period. And what I love about these is that it helps to keep you grounded. And it breaks it into little chunks that are digestible, the 13 weeks. Um, but it's a great way to keep yourself on track while also connecting all the dots throughout our entire life, which I really love. So I thought I would share that with our, our listeners today because it's not a, you know, a, normally we talk about a, a business book. And I think this is a business book, but it's also a life book. And I, I really do love these. So it's, it's called the Intentionality Journal Planner. And it's by Cindy. Uh, this particular version of it is by Cindy Harvell. Nice. That's fantastic. And I actually have a book that uh, I've got the subtitle for, but not the title for, called The Art of Living with Extreme Intentionality. I just have to find the title. Um, and I have the outline written, um, but I haven't actually started writing the book. So uh, so it's interesting that we both have this kind of similar passion. Um, only mine won't be so much of the, the journal kind of approach. It'll, it'll be more instructive, so instructional. And it will not be specific to accountants or bookkeepers. So that'll be a little nice. bit of a different apparition for me. Um, okay. So let's talk about our, our favorite social posts. I'm going to lead out with mine. Brandon Hall, really easy to find a favorite one with this guy. He, he's amazing. But one of the ones that he posted on Twitter, or excuse me, X formerly known as Twitter, uh, this past week, he said, "I what I thought would make me happy, and he gave a list, is big money, luxurious vacation, social recognition. And, and what actually makes me happy, his list is meaningful work, time with loved ones, personal growth, giving back. And he didn't really dictate what your list should be. What he said is make sure that your list is sort of the what you, not what you want, but what you really, really want. Now everybody's going to have that song in your head. You're welcome. Um, so it's not what you want, what you really, really want. What's the want beyond the want, right? What is that? If I'm just going to kind of interpret Brandon's deal there and then find that and lean into it. And that's where you need to make your investment. And very, very quick 30 second example of this. At one point, I thought I wanted an RV, um, you know, but, and I even went out shopping and all these things with my daughter. She was in elementary school at the time. But when I pulled it apart, what I really, really wanted was more focused time with my family. So I engineered that in other ways without buying the RV. There's nothing wrong with buying an RV if you have one and love that. It's just that when I peeled back what I really, really wanted, it wasn't the RV, so I didn't buy one. All right, what's the want below the want? All right. And um, and for the record, Joe, you just quoted the Spice Girls, I'm just saying. I know, that's why I said it. You're gonna have that song know, in your head. I know. You're I welcome, love, yeah. I love All that. Right. So I that know, right? Yeah. I totally every day. 
All right. So my social post was from Taylor, the CPA, and um, they said, if you're not consistently reconciling your books, you're only seeing a financial illusion and make sure your numbers reflect, reflect reality. And so I'm going to quote my son right now. And I'm going to say word. (laughs) (laughs) Your son's a little older. He does word. Mine. My daughter does bet. I'm not going to even try to interpret that, but the new word for word is bet. All right, go and ahead. That, okay. And so, I mean, really that simple test, a text, you know, or tweet talks, it, it embodies the need for cast to our clients because they think they're doing it. They think they're doing it. They're, they're, they're going in, they're setting up the, the application, they're letting, they're setting up the bank feeds, they're letting the technology do its thing, but they don't know accounting. They don't know accounting. They don't know the principles. They don't want accounting right? What they want is the insight and advice that we give them. That's what they want is they want somebody to say, this is what it means. And this is what you should do based on what this means. And so I just, that really resonated with me and it was so simple, but it was like, that's it word. So yeah. Fantastic. Hey, so we only have another minute, but I can't think of a better way to spend it than you telling us as the editor of the water report, what your favorite article was this past week. All right. So my favorite article is actually my favorite articles right now. And we have a whole series where we're highlighting the winners of our top 50 uh, accounting service practice awards that we announced back in Scaling New Heights in June. And so we've had, I think, a dozen or maybe a dozen of them have been published, but you can actually read about these incredible firms um, that exemplify what it means to be a top tier you know, clients accounting services practice. So I'm really excited about that. It's really cool to get to know these firms and the people that started them and what sets them apart from others in the industry. So really fun to watch those. All right. So go out and read the article on the top 50 accounting services winner spotlights, the articles. The articles. All 50 of those over the, over the past and the future months. All right. So another great conversation. I hope that the listeners Got something out of at least one of these segments. If nothing else, you know, don't watch Meg too. All right. So so we're going to sign off for this week. We'll see you next time, Heather. All right. see See you later, everybody. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.